I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ES Audio. Welcome to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis, Chief Theatre Critic. And I'm Nick Clark, the Deputy Culture Editor. Here's what we've got coming up on this episode. Up first, we'll be reviewing God of Carnage at the Lyric Hammersmith. That stars Doctor Who's Freema Hageman. It's written by Yasmina Razor, translated by Christopher Hampton, and directed by the Lyric's Associate Director, Nikolai Labarry. For our second review, it's Red Pitch at the Bush Theatre, directed by Daniel Bailey. This is by Evening Standard Award winner Tyrell Williams and stars Kada Williams-Sterling, Emma Cassese and Francis Lovehall. And we'll be joined by Paul Baisley, who plays Gandhi in The Father and the Assassin at the National Theatre. The first time I worked here was 31 years ago in Ian McKellen's Richard III. And as a young South Asian British actor, I wasn't ever quite sure of my place at that time here. And gradually I've seen, you know, that we're allowed to tell all sorts of stories in this space that maybe wouldn't have been, not allowed, but just not considered. Welcome back to the pod. Nick, you're back. I am back. I was in Croatia for 12 days and it was lovely. But I have to say it's it's wonderful to be back in London. I've had my first couple of shows this week, a oh, couple of exhibitions. Excellent. Uh, you, you, I can never get enough of this place, really. Well, but, uh, we're, yeah. we're currently operating a one-in, one-out policy <laughs> because Nancy is on holiday. She's uh, sunning herself in Greece, very luckily. Yeah. Uh, so it's just you and me today. To it is, it is. I'm sorry I'm, when I was away, I really regretted bitterly missing the uh, interview you did with Ian McKellen and... Uh, Roger Allen. Oh, it was great. Frank I really Percy. enjoyed, really enjoyed talking to them both. It's a terrific episode. I mean, I've interviewed them both separately. Mm. They're always terrific value, aren't they? And Brilliant. And they really riffed off each other brilliantly as well. It's another one of McKellen's great bromances, isn't yeah. it? I saw them together years ago in um, Mother Goose yes. as well at, uh, at the old, not, not Mother Goose, sorry. It was um, Aladdin, was it? It was Aladdin yeah. at, the, at the old Vic, yes. Yes. One time I've heckled someone. <laughs> Alan came on and uh, as Abanaza and said, at midnight I turn into an actor. And I said, oh, no, you don't. Anyway. <laughs> Probably good that I didn't wasn't here to interview him then, but well, terrific for, episode. For anyone who hasn't uh, listened to it, do catch up on on last week's episode. And w- what's brilliant about them, they sort of quietly disagree on all sorts of things. It's great, <laughs> including heckling. There's a moment when Ian McKellen is uh, talking very uh, uh, deeply about the how great theatre audiences are and how he doesn't mind. You know, activity in the stores during a performance and Roger Allen recounted a very funny story about being heckled while he played Prospero, being booed by an American punter. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you can find that interview at standard.co.uk, including all our previous episodes. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as we said, Nancy's off this week. Mm. She's in Greece. We're very jealous, but we will press on. We'll um, press on and talk about what's going on this week. Uh, yeah, well, I think uh, what caught both of our eyes was it's 
it's the National Theatre's 60th anniversary coming yes. up. Yes, do you remember the 50th, the big celebration? I do, yes. Oh. Uh, my colleague Sarah Hemming wrote the book about it. Oh, I wow. I think, you know, wrote the, the sort of handbook of the National okay. Theatre as a result of that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I actually saw the 50th celebration. I think, weirdly, I was working. I was it was pretty some, amazing. Someone else, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think I remember the time writing about is whether Peter O'Toole was going to appear or not. Mm. And now, now that I've said that, I can't remember if he did or not. I, that I would make sense. Did. That would be about the right timing, but mm. he was very frail at that yeah. stage of his life, so possibly not. But I know they did have a, an incredible sort of roster of stars in previous Absolutely. you know, alumni, writers, directors, sort of, designers as well. Yeah, and, and did little sort of sketches from shows and things like that. It was a, a brilliant celebration. And so for the 60th anniversary, they're doing another brilliant celebration, but in a very different way, because um, they're going to mark this anniversary by... Uh, making available 3,600 tickets to 16 to 25 year olds, free tickets, which is a, a brilliant thing to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and really good productions on offer. We had a little look at the list, there, but it's things like Dear England and, you know, um, Ocean at the End of the Lane and The Effect. Really top quality theatre. It's really, it's it's really terrific. And it's, it's you know, it's there sort of fostering the next generation of theatre goers. It's truly making it a national theatre, mm. you know, more of a national theatre than, than it actually is, which is something that I think Rufus Norris very much made it his mission to do mm. um, with co productions, but also continuing the um, outreach work by his predecessors to get younger audiences Absolutely. into the building because there was a, there used to be a statistic this might be apocryphal and it's certainly probably out of date now that the average uh, national theatre goer was 68 years yeah, old yeah. or something I think it's um, moved down a bit I think it's probably <laughs> shifted down a bit I think you know the plays like uh, Dear England would have shifted that demographic Absolutely demographic quite a bit um, it's great I wonder why they didn't give 6,000 for the 60th anniversary uh, <laughs> is, yes, is there some this is obviously a multiple of 6 yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if there's some you know some, some maths in it. there that we don't really understand but, um, we're arts journalists we don't do maths we're arts journalists we don't do maths exactly <laughs> <laughs> but we had a business journalist elsewhere yes elsewhere in news uh, yeah well I think you drew this one out Nick mm. tell us about it well I was very interested to see there's a mega musical coming along next year we have to wait till October, but The Devil Wears Prada is going to be on the West End stage in the Dominion as a new musical with music from Elton John. Indeed, yes. Um, lyrics by Shana Taub, book by uh, Kate Weatherhead. Neither of these are people whose work I'm familiar with. No. I presume they mostly um, have worked in the American market. And the it's, director, Jerry Mitchell, we do know his work. We do. We know a little bit of his work. Yeah. He is an American director and choreographer, yeah. um, but he choreographed um, On Your Feet and he yep. directed Kinky Boots. Kinky Boots, which many of our listeners, I'm sure, would have seen. Both over here and and in America, mm. I believe. He also did the American production of Legally Blonde and sundry other, you know, many many you know, major musical projects. So this is quite a big deal, Massive. I would say. Yeah, the Dominion has been a sort of slightly... It's weird that London always has these ghost theatres that mm. things sort of drop off the the edge of, of, of theatre land, mm. as it were. Years ago, the Piccadilly was one of them. The Playhouse was one until Cabaret really sort of mm. reinvented that. The Dominion has, has been this... It's a big old barn of a theatre. It's yeah. one of the only four that I think seats more than 2,000 people. Mm. Um, recent years, it's been basically just the home to sort of big cash... Cows mm. like Grease, Dirty yep. Dancing, yep. Elf the Musical at, the, at Christmas, which was famously briefly the West End's most expensive ticket. Indeed. But this is obviously a bit of a punt, really, because nobody knows. I mean, you know, obviously well, Elton John is a name to conjure with. The, yeah, you know, and, and I think the property, the name of it, the is, is, is big enough. I mean, I was talking to a producer this week, actually, just saying that the West End is booming and it's booming with projects that people know. It's, you know, the old school shows that have been running for years. It's the ones that are adapted from big name books and the ones with stars. So the other question is, 
who is going to play the Meryl Streep role, and that's how will be crucial casting. Absolutely. I, I mean, it'd be great if they could get Meryl Streep. Oh. <laughs> then, well, that would be sold out for years. Come, o- come on, Meryl, come <laughs> over here. It's time, I think, that you made your West End debut. I don't think she's played the West End. I'm not sure how much theatre she actually does. Right. I don't think she has. But, you know, one thinks of Glenn Close did Sunset Boulevard. Absolutely. It's about time Meryl came here, I think. Come You're on, right. Meryl. Home of theatre. The <laughs> Evening Standard Theatre podcast demands yes. it. Come on. <laughs> and come on as a guest as well. You'd be most welcome. Welcome. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. No, well, very exciting. I think that's that's going to be great to look forward to. Absolutely. Right, should we... Uh, should, should we, we press on? Press on and review some shows. Yeah. Right, for our first review, it's God of Carnage at the Lyric Hammersmith. Straight back from holiday, I went <laughs> to see this on a Wednesday afternoon in, uh, over in Hammersmith. Um, wondering how it will have stood the test of time, because I remembered seeing the um, original London production back in 2006. And it had had slightly iffy reviews. We mm-hmm. opened while I was away and had slightly iffy reviews. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. This is, well, it's a comedy of, of middle class manners. Yes. Uh, really. Or, or no manners. Or no manners. <laughs> but it's, it's basically an examination of how far away we are from primal savagery. Absolutely. Really, all of us. I mean, you, you saw it just this week as well, didn't you? Yeah. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. The setup was just the sort of thing I really like. Just a four-hander, two sets of couples, basically on a very simple premise. They're meeting in an apartment, basically because the son of one couple has hit the son of the other couple in the face with a stick and dislodged some teeth. So they're yeah. there to discuss what happened and, and how best to proceed from there. And very quickly, things spin out of control where people start attacking each other, at first just uh, verbally, and then actually it all sort of spirals really out of control. But it is about how far we're away from, you know, civility and the masks we wear, all of that. Yeah. I did enjoy it. I, I thought the translation by Christopher Hampton was excellent. Mm. The problem I found with it was that the mechanics are quite on display in yeah. the sense of... Essentially, you can see that all the the people are going to split apart from each other, form alliances with other people, split from them, come back again. And the sort of rotating, you know, fighting and making up, you you sort of saw it's sort of very obvious. It is very obvious. And it's there's a sort of um, shifting of allegiances amongst the four of them, isn't it? You know, initially, the two couples are are arrayed against each other. Uh, You know, they're very, you know, defensive, obviously, you know, of their of their position. So they present a unified front each Mm. against the other. But then suddenly the men start aligning together and the women start aligning together. Then they start attacking each other. And Freeman, a gay man, plays Veronica, her husband, Michael Novak, is played by Martin Hudson. Uh, the other couple are played by Ariane Bakari and Dinita Gohill. Um, yeah, so uh, so as you say, I mean, the mechanics are very much on display. Mm. And also they don't really uh, they don't really make sense, the mechanics. If this play was a machine, it wouldn't actually function because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, the, the, it, it doesn't really sort of make any sense that, mm. that these incredible flashpoints mm. that are reached are then sort of instantly forgotten in a yes. second. That for one moment, um, uh, Ariane Bakari's character, Alan Raleigh, is mm. a lawyer who's working for a pharmaceutical company. So with damage limitation, they've got a scandal brewing. They produced so he's a drug which is phone. possibly, possibly, you know, <laughs> causing old people to fall downstairs yes. and things like that. Yeah. And we discover that Michael Novak, Martin Hudson's character, his mother is on this drug. Yes. So for a while, the two men are bitterly, bitterly opposed to one another. And then seconds later, they're sharing bottles of rum yeah. and offering each other cigars, which uh, you know, doesn't doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was really curious as to how this would stand up because there are crazes for foreign authors they usually yep. started by Christopher Hampton. Yeah, true. <laughs> but Yasmin Reza, I remember as a kid, yeah. like art yeah. was yeah. the biggest play in the West 
end. Art was massive, ran for ages, yeah. loads of different casts. I mean, the original cast there had Ken Stott, who was also mm. in the original God of Carnage, but it had uh, Albert Finney and Tom wow. Courtney as well. You know, I back think on I might stage. have seen that when I was very young. It was incredible. I saw it when I was unless not so young. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there was but art. No talks about art now. No. <laughs> and then God of Carnage appeared and won the Olivier Award for Best Comedy that year. Um, it's a great title. I mean, I knew nothing about it, but thought, yep, I want to watch this play. <laughs> yeah, I want to see a play called God yeah. of Carnage, definitely. And yeah. I love that. I think the set is brilliant. It was uh, my yes. lack of observance, but I didn't realize it was rotating until about 15 minutes in because it's very subtly rotating. It's, ve- it's very like, slow rotating. Wait, hang on a second. Yeah. They, yeah, they, wasn't they wasn't the, the drinks trolley on the other yeah, side exactly. early on? Yeah, that's um, and, true. And the centerpiece of it is this sort of um, sculptural face, mm. which could possibly be the god of carnage yes, themselves. indeed. And I loved all of that. And I, I loved the barbs. I thought some of the writing was really fantastic. Some of the translation was really fantastic. But again, it just sort of occasionally ran out of steam because you thought, well, you can see where this is going. And then it just sort of ended. Yeah. Well, that's that's the sort of thing, isn't it? It's a series of sort of crescendos without yes. having a climax. You yes. Know, it sort of builds up and then it tails off. It builds up and then it tails off. Mm. Um, I like the performances. I loved yes. Freema Yeoman. I thought she was great. Right. This sort of... Okay. Uh, uh, Richter's grin on her face, you know, she's vibrating like a sort of plucked violin string yeah. through the uh, the course of the whole well, thing. Because I've read some reviews that have talked about how it's very stagey, very self-consciously. Uh, all of the performances are very, you know, they are acting. Theatrical. Yeah. Theatrical. And actually, I thought that really suited the piece because I thought all of this is about the masks we wear. It's about mm. um, the performances we put on in the company of others and what happens when you strip those layers away. And it's just make it obvious that everything is a performance. Yes. So yeah. I had no problem at all that that it was you know slightly mannered or, or you know. Uh, I agree. I think it's. I think um, Nicolai Labarry, the director, has made this has turned it sort of absurdist. Yes. You know, it, there there is an absurdist tone to it. Yeah. Which so it is it is heightened. One thing as well about the title, I assumed always assumed that the God of Carnage was the child. The children are effectively the gods of carnage. You know, they're just completely because they're self centered. You, you don't see that they're sort of in the background. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a quote in the play that the, the parents of the mm. of the boy who's um, who's hit the other child yeah. describe him as a savage. And children yes. are savages, aren't they? Until they get <laughs> yeah, sometimes until, <laughs> until they get social. You'd know better than I would. <laughs> no comment. But <laughs> but yeah. So um, I mean, it was. It does feel like a bit of a throwback. It does sort mm. of remind me when Yasmina Reyes was all the rage. That was mm. before. Um, Christopher Hampton sort of went off and made Bam Florian Zeller. Zeller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and made him all the rage. And now who yeah. talks about Florian Zeller these days? Yeah. I mean, he went off to make films of those plays, most of which didn't really work terribly well. And Well, he got an Oscar for Anthony Hopkins for The Father. True. I mean, actually, I tell a lie. The Father, that was an extraordinary performance. But The Son, I think, yeah, appeared in... Uh, disappeared Without Trace. Disappeared Without it? Trace last year, yes. But uh, and quite rightly so. <laughs> Um, and we should also mention that uh, those of a weak disposition, or certainly who are not feeling uh, their very best, might be warned. But there is a, uh, should we say, upchuck scene <laughs> that yes. is uh, uh, extraordinarily visceral, I found. Yeah. Um, so, yes, do be warned on that. Funnily enough, I went to see a film this week uh, called The Trouble with Jessica, where mm. people bang on all the way through about the lead character's clafoutis that he's prepared. And I was thinking... I had a feeling God of Carnage revolves around a clafouti and then I went to see it and of course it does. Yes. You know, everybody eats the clafouti but not everybody keeps it down. Not I think everyone keeps it down. Um, but, you know, all credit to it. I wonder whether, whether clafouti was as funny in the original French as it seems in the English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was an anecdotal story that certainly art was was not meant to be a comedy until Christopher Hampton got his, <laughs> got his hands on it and that Yasmina Razor was a bit miffed that the audience were laughing at it but that may be unjust to her and it may just be some sort of showbiz rumour, that one. But yeah, so 
all in all, definitely worth a look, I'd say. But, oh, yeah, um, you know, a strong, a strong three. Strong three, probably. But, yeah, interesting. Blast from the past. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's probably time for a quick break now. Coming up, Paul Baisley joins us from the National Theatre to talk about his role as Gandhi in The Father and the Assassin. Make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you never miss an episode. We'll be back after these. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Danny Mays, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Well, uh, joining me on the podcast this week is Paul Baisley, who joins me from his dressing room before the press night of The Father and the Assassin in the Olivier Theatre, in which he reprises his role from last year as Gandhi, Mahandas Gandhi. Uh, so welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I suppose the, the very obvious question uh, <laughs> to kick off is, what's it like playing Gandhi in uh, Anupama Chandrasekhar's play? It's amazing. I was, um, it's funny, I was doing a, uh, a telly last year with uh, Roger Allen, and we were t- talking about playing when he played Hitler here, and, I played, and I'm playing Gandhi. And it's that strange thing when you're playing a, 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 an icon who literally anyone in the country that you mention Gandhi to knows him. They don't might not know anything about him, but they know he's the small, bald Indian man. So it's a weird thing where he's so iconic that basically if you shave anyone's head and put a little moustache on them and put them in a dhoti, then they, they look like Gandhi, you know. So it's interesting and I really wanted to get into into finding out what it was to like to be him as a man as opposed to the iconography of him you know and that was the what I was looking forward to as a challenge and Anu Palmer has written such a interesting version of him and his killer that that I just thought oh yes this is something I've not seen before you know so I, I just thought it was a really great way into looking at these characters from history it's it's a, a problem they, they had this I think at the Young Vic recently when they did a musical about Nelson Mandela it's very hard playing and as you say an icon um, particularly someone who about whom people have extremely strong opinions either either pro or con and you have to find a sort of middle ground in that yeah and 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 what's great actually is it's irrelevant what people think about him because I'm just trying to play him as a human being and and he was never really interested in you know he received gigantic criticism when he was alive and, and he just wasn't really that interested in it so it's quite freeing really because I don't have to justify any of his actions I just have to try and find out who he was and and and, and portray him in the moments that Anu has put him in our play 
die, you know, which are very specific moments. Yeah, so it's 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 fun actually. So tell us, let's unpack the the play a little bit for the listeners. Could you, in your own words, tell us, you know, just a rough, brief outline of what 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 takes place? Well, the play opens with the killer um, of of Gandhi arriving on stage, a man called Godse. And he says to the audience, he speaks to the audience through the whole show, it's, it's his telling of, of the history of his life. And he says, by the end of this play, you will not think I'm evil, you will be putting statues up in my honour. And what I love about that is that Anu is saying, in this age of polarisation, where you have to kind of take a side and make a decision, and am I the righteous one in this debate? Who is this person friends with? Am I allowed to like them? She just says, let's step into his shoes for a couple of hours and see what we think at the end. She doesn't patronise the audience into trying to make them take a view and um, so then he tells us the story of his life and of his relationship with Gandhi through his his lifetime and as to why he comes to the moment to kill him and through that we also get a story about Indian history the British Empire and also what it is to become a radical to the extent that you are prepared to kill someone for your cause. And I think, obviously, these are very, very pertinent questions to our time. It's very deeply rooted in in the sort of history of India and, and empire, as you say, and the independence struggle. But it also does have a wider relevance. Yes, I, I always think there's no point putting on a play that's just a history lesson because you can watch a documentary. It's got to be, there's got to be a reason to put it on in London in 2023 for a British audience. And a history lesson is not good enough reason it's got to be about now I mean that's what Shakespeare's histories were they were always about his moment in time and um, I think that's that's when history is interesting is saying what does it tell us about this moment and what does it tell us about extremism and polarization and violence and um, that to me is the interesting part of the play and the Indian history is just the way Anu finds a route into it um, what for you is the significance of having this story and uh, an all sort of non-white cast on the stage of the Olivia? Well, you know, it's wonderful because it's written by an Indian playwright. It has uh, a British Asian director, Indy Rubasingham. It has entirely uh, British Asian cast. Hiram, who plays Godse, is uh, from Sri Lanka, but he's based in Britain. It's it's just wonderful to be on the stage, one of the biggest stages in the country, and just taking ownership of it and saying, we're allowed to tell stories in this space um, that are relevant to a modern British audience, mixed British audience. The first time I worked here was 31 years ago in Ian McKellen's Richard III. And as a young South Asian British actor, I didn't... Uh, I wasn't ever quite sure of my place at that time here. And um, gradually I've seen, you know, that we're allowed to tell all sorts of stories in this space that maybe wouldn't have been not allowed, but just not considered uh, in those big spaces, maybe a Dorfman play, you know. But this is now saying these stories are absolutely relevant to the modern times and they are perfectly uh, applicable to the to the biggest stages in the country. Yeah. I mean, it struck me as a very sort of uh, bold statement, a bold and correct statement by the National, really, at a time when it opened last year, uh, that there seemed to be a lot of debate and, you know, quite a vicious debate about British history and acknowledgement of empire and about whether you sort of accept the sort of sanitised version that we've been fed over the years or whether you, you, you need to look more deeply into it. It seemed to me to tie into all the, you know, the, the toppling of the Colston statue, which I know is, you know, it's a different issue, but it's all basically to do with how you define the narratives of empire. Yeah, and especially, uh, you know, post-COVID, it was a very brave decision because, you know, it's not got anyone famous in it. It's not, you know, it's not by a famous playwright. It's about something that might, some people might say is quite contentious. But 
I, I'm always intrigued. Is it people come with such strong um, opinion, their own opinions about the empire, and then they place whatever their opinion is on our play, and either see it as an attack or a, a defense or whatever. But actually, the empire is just the background. It's just the backdrop to this story, which is a much more universal story. And also, I just feel like if we're not prepared to look at our history without too much emotion then how can we learn from it um you know whether you want to defend it or attack it i, I sort of I'm, I'm intrigued by that position of why can't we just have a look at it and talk about it and go yeah these things happened this is interesting some people might interpret it one way some people might interpret it another way but if we're not allowed to look at it that seems like um quite a retrograde step really yes um there's very little set it's just basically the acting isn't it i mean it's it's a quite an exposing stage the olivier how is it to sort of step on that Raja shakiri's done an extraordinary job in the uh, in the um design it's it's what she's done is is it's deceptively simple and open but actually it's incredibly conducive to act on and you know and, and this building i've been around this building long enough to know that they call the olivier you know graveyard of directors young hotshot directors come and they get totally lost on that stage but in Hindu is a master of that stage and with just 20 people she can create you know the subcontinent <laughs> and um, it's it's wonderful it's wonderful to just have an open stage it feels quite Shakespearean in that sense you know when when we don't have a naturalistic set and we can make it whatever we want with just a few suggestions and uh, to stand in the middle and to be able to, to, to look out and speak to an audience in, in that space is uh, is an amazing privilege. This is uh, just to sort of finish up sort of as almost back to where we started uh as you say it's theater is an imaginative space and people here i mean you're really quite a tall man aren't you and gandhi was famously not, not terribly tall are you trying to sort of think yourself smaller when you're on stage i have to know? say i never thought i would play him because of that exact reason you know he was a small yeah. man and if you watch him he very cleverly used his size to make himself non-threatening to people you see him sidling up to people on the newsreels and kind of holding hands with people and he had that a bit like the dalai lama that way of just kind of cuddling up to people in a, an incredibly non-threatening way. And I've tried to, particularly as I get older in the play, it's easier because he has a stoop, he has a stick. So it's easier to make myself smaller. But I also just felt, again, we're in the world of the imagination. And, and you know, uh, you can see, the audience can't see. I've got a shaved head. I've got a moustache. I put on a dolti and a shawl. And as I said earlier, you could put anyone in that. <laughs> I could put you in that and someone would go, oh, you dressed up as Gandhi. Fortunately, that 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 helps me. But yes, I, I in the end, I just felt if I can capture... And actually, in fact, I watched a lot of the Dalai Lama and a lot of Desmond Tutu because I felt that they were very much modern-day equivalents, always laughing, always kind of charming their opponents. I tried to find that in him as opposed to having to just depend on my height. Terrific. Well, Paul Basie, thank you for joining us hours before you're, you're going on stage for press night. Um, thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Right, let's go to the ads. Coming up in part two, we review Red Pitch at the Bush Theatre. See you in a sec. Hi, I'm Matthew Modine, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back. Right, on to our second review. Listen, let me educate you, yeah? Anything you want in life, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get it, bro. Yeah, I do work twice as hard. But you have to rest as well. You're going to burn out. We've just come from a match. That was a friendly, bro. When we make it pro, we're going to be playing up to three times a week, you know? Yeah, I know. 
I'm telling you, bruv, things are going to have to change when we go clear. You know, I saw some posts on Insta saying that ballers even switch up the food they eat as well, boy. Yeah, not me, boy. Red Pitch at the Bush Theatre. Award-winning Red Award-winning Pitch. Award-winning Red Pitch. So this, yeah, this returns to the Bush after a much-acclaimed run in tw- 2022 um, for, for just a three-week limited run. And this essentially follows three teenage friends, Oms, Bilal and Joey, who are sort of playing football on this very dilapidated bit of football pitch at the edge of their estate and basically they have dreams of making it big they laugh they talk they fight all of the things that teenage boys tend to do uh, talk a lot about football and fifa and all of this sort of stuff and what's amazing about this it's 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 the lightness of touch but in the background it's very clear there is huge social issues changing. So this is a yeah. social issues play without it ever being <laughs> heavy-handed, yeah. in inverted commas, a social issues it's play. About, it's about gentrification, it's effectively, about gentrification. isn't it? This was uh, written by Tyrell Williams, who lived on the Aylesbury estate. Mm. Um, the red pitch the, 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 of the title of the play mm. was on the Aylesbury estate. Right. I interviewed him last year when he won our Most Promising Playwright Award for this. It was also nominated for Best Play, mm. and Francis Lovehall was nominated for for most uh, for Emerging Talent Award. I mean, that's it was an extraordinary... Yeah. Uh, sweep of nominations yep. in, our, in our awards last year. My first flat in London was at the bottom of the Walworth Road next oh, to the right. Aylesbury Estate. So um, Tyrell Williams is, is you know, is several decades younger than me, mm. but we did sort of talk, did. About, talk quite a lot about, you know, yeah. that, about what you happened to that estate. Because yeah. basically the estate has now gone and has been, right. you know, it has been built on. And that's part of the angle of the play, that this pitch is going to be luxury apartments at yeah. some point. So, yeah, for an early career playwright, this is extraordinary skillful bit of writing. Hey, yeah. He absolutely nails teenage boys just chatting yeah. in a park, playing football, fighting, you know, all, all, all that stuff, talking about girls. He absolutely nails it. And it is so funny, so brilliant. Just you, you can't help but be sucked in. It's his ability to talk about those social issues through the characters. You know, one's having to move out because the flats are being knocked down. One's having to look out after his grandfather. Yeah. They all dream of, um, you know, uh, uh, of making it big with QPR. And you know, you know how these things tend to, to work out. But also, just in other ways, too, when one character wants to go to Morley's chicken shop and instead he finds a Cafe Nero, yeah. it's just little touches like that. Yeah. I mean, a producer friend recently described it to me as Chekhovian, and now well, right. that's sort of very, yes. possibly highfalutin terminology there, but you actually, <laughs> you know, it really is. Playwriting at it, it's very best. It's, it's absolutely tremendous. It's, um, you know, amazing command of London Argot as well, yeah, sort mm. of South London slang that these guys talk yeah. There's all this wonderful stuff about people making peas from ends, you know, they're <laughs> yeah, making, yeah, they're yeah, making yeah. pounds from, you know, gentrifying um, the estates there. Yeah. The estates there, yes. I love the ritual of it as well, mm-hmm. the fact that when one of them goes to the shop, you know, if one of them loses a penalty, they have to, you yeah. know, they have to sort of pay a four it and get you know yep. get a galaxy or whatever I can't I have to say I didn't see it this time around I saw it mm. last year this um, opened when I was still on a plane back it's from the same Croatia cast. it's the same cast the same director Daniel Bailey mm. I presume it's the same set which has the audience on all four sides yes. which is you know the, the standard configuration of the bush but it's yeah. also a football pitch yeah. you know and there are footballs on stage which there aren't in dear England for right. instance here you Absolutely. actually have these guys dribbling and you know um, playing keepy up well, skills and things like that let's give let's give a shout out to the actors so I think mm. all three are absolutely superb so there's Cada Williams Sterling um, who uh, fans of sex education will know yeah Cada Williams Sterling plays Bilal Emma Cassese plays Joey, who's uh, the, the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, and Francis Lovell, who's, who plays Oms, who's sort of the, the more brittle. He's a young carer. There are things going on and he's, you know, he's, as you say in your review, a sort of coiled spring. Yeah. And all of them, really brilliant characterization. And actually, all of them look like they could play football. Where you mentioned Dear England, I'm not so sure you <laughs> could say the same. Francis Lovell comes on before the play started, essentially, walks into the centre of the pit and starts doing keepy-uppies. 
and he's really good and yeah. I could have just watched that for ages <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good start fair enough I think the one thing about this is it really celebrates young black men and their friendships yeah. and this came out uh, the same year that for black boys who were considered suicide came out mm. um, and it was just immensely refreshing to yeah. see you know the vitality of this demographic sort of celebrated and, yeah. and, and young male friendship being celebrated it was absolutely tremendous and different stories and not stereotyped and yeah. any of that stuff so it, it absolutely was fabulous, that absolutely fabulous I mean I interviewed Gerald Williams last year when he won the award mm. um, uh, and I, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that he was quite a handy footballer himself when okay. he was young he blames um, training in Dulwich Park in the winter for messing mm. up his chances that it okay. sort of you know damaged his feet a bit um, mm. he also uh, is or was then certainly a carer for uh, right. a relative so with, um, with Alzheimer's so he's drawing yes but, but I mean turning it into absolute gold yeah. um, and I think it has been a step up to him for another writing career you know in television and, and absolutely well I'm so looking forward to seeing what what he does. Yeah. Um, there's so much to this play. I was I was really blown away by it, and it's funny. I, I read a, a, a rival review um, mm. from from last year, which said, uh, you know, keep a note of these these names. Which yeah, absolutely, every yeah. single actor, the director and the writer. Yeah. But I thought you missed such an opportunity when Wayne Rooney burst onto the scene when he scored his first goal against Arsenal at the age of 16. The commentator very famously went, remember the name. So we, the reviewer <laughs> should very much know. So I'm going to say that. Okay. Remember the names. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Know? Remember them. I mean, it just goes to show what an extraordinary year the Bush had last year and, oh, yeah. and into this year. This coming back, um, Elephant coming back mm. by Anushka Lucas, yep. her uh, one-person show that she's written and performed, yep. uh, loosely based on her own life. But again, a cracking, a cracking densely woven piece of thing theatre um sleepover which we all raved about last year um or, or earlier this year but uh, yeah the, i mean the, the bush just is completely knocking it out playing a blinder yeah <laughs> and uh, august in england of course you know lenny henry's playwriting debut uh, which he also performed which you can uh, well you can hear the interview he gave us on this podcast if you check in the notes absolutely but essentially you can't miss anything that goes on at the bush at the moment you can't it's uh, absolutely the, the venue to go to And that's it for this week's Evening Standard Theatre podcast. Check out all our other episodes below, which include interviews with Sir Ian McKellen, Roger Allen, Jenna Coleman, Eddie Izzard, Tim Minchin, and so many more. And you can find our latest reviews at standard.co.uk. That's linked below. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss us. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott, and we'll see you next Sunday. Standard.